Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drantz here on a Friday edition of the show. We are live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. We are now very pleased to have on the line from The Athletic, uh, talking a little L.A. Kings with us here, he is Eric Stevens. Eric, thanks for doing this. How are you? I'm good, guys. How are you doing today up there? Yeah, we're doing very well, and uh, we're excited to have you on because, as, as I was saying earlier in the show, you know, really one of the more fascinating stories in the league right now, from my perspective, is the L.A. Kings. And, of course, it kind of uh, got a lot of attention around the hockey world this week with the lost Buffalo, with comments from Todd McClellan, from from Drew Doughty. You know, were you surprised by anything you heard from either of those guys or, or from anyone else on the team following that loss against Buffalo? Uh, you know what, I, maybe just a touch surprised in the fact that, um, you know, not only obviously were they pointed comments, um, very strong comments, but I think they were very necessary. You know, I, I, being around the Kings, being, you know, for a good bit whatsoever, in general, they're sort of a button-down group. Uh, you know, in, in general, you you know, you don't really, outside of Drew Doughty or, whatsoever you don't have too many say you know out there personalities or, or you know extroverted personalities on that group so i think in the sense that it was necessary you know it, it, it's been a bad stretch there, there's no sugar in it and that loss especially when they had gotten up on buffalo you know grabbed the 3-1 lead buffalo had played the night before they were you know they were pretty terrible in anaheim you know this was a game that they should have won and closed out and to lose it in that manner to play as sloppily as they did it was very anti-king like at least from what you saw through the first you know say three months of the season um but it's also just indicative of you know kind of the way that they're in right now and and you know, what, what they have to do to dig themselves out of it, you know, before this, this the entire season really goes sideways. Eric, how itchy is Rob Blake's trigger finger at the moment, do you think, in terms of making, making some changes in, in short order? Well, you know, he gave the – he, he, he gave the vote of confidence uh, to Todd. Oh, uh, you know, bad sign. We asked, yeah, well, vote of confidence. We we know how those generally go. <laughs> <laughs> generally speaking, okay, um, okay. So you know, so, saying that, I think Rob is generally one to exercise patience. You know, with with regard to major moves. Now he's not he's not gun shy in terms of doing them. I mean, we you know we saw him deal Jonathan Quick last you know last spring. We you know a franchise icon. We obviously seen the, the move, big moves that he's made in terms of the acquisitions that he's done over the last couple of summers. So this is not a, a gun shy GM, but I think in general, he, he does exercise patience, but I think this, this world trip, which, uh, which starts obviously tonight in Colorado, um, I think it's going to be really a telltale sign of whether Todd can, you know, turn this at least, turn the ship around and, 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 and move it into a direction 
um, to where they can start, you know, just being more like themselves again, uh, uh, like, like how they showed over the first three months of the year. The, the suddenness of this uh, toxic spill that I call it in losing 12 or 14, I think that's, that's really the thing that's really thrown mm. everyone for a loop here. Um, but, you know, if they, you know, come out, say, tonight and, you know, just get, you know, just, just get boat raced by Colorado. And then, and then you got the games, I think, too. you got St. Louis and Nashville. You know, these are team, two teams that the, 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 the Kings should beat out. They shouldn't be, they, they should be above them. They should be, you know, they shouldn't be in competition with them for one of the wild card spots. To me, those, all these three games really tell me whether Rob may have to really decide that he's got to change course. I don't think he wants to let Todd go, but we'll see if, if it becomes a point where he has to. The Kings are in one of those spots, Eric, that I always find really fascinating because in terms of their underlying profile, right, they're still, mm-hmm. even over the course of this brutal stretch, they're still controlling games more more nights than not. But I sometimes worry with teams, you know, that you get to like a critical mass of dissatisfaction mm-hmm. and failure and just kind of need to make a change just to change it up effectively. Um, mm-hmm. Is that sort of the risk? Is that some of what Blake would be weighing here? Is there still belief in, in what they've built effectively is what, what I'm asking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, see, the thing is, is that what's built is what's going to be. I mean, they're capped out, mm. you know. Uh, so, so what's built is, is what's going to be. There's not going to be – it's going to be awfully difficult – to make a huge deadline acquisition without subtracting from the current roster. Uh, you know, and, and part of that is obviously, you know, when, when you go in and you bring in, you know, you, you add salary with the Fiala last summer. Then you bring in, obviously, you know, you double down on that with Dubois, um, or the last summer, Fiala was obviously the previous one. Um, so this is the direction that they've built, you know, gone to and have led up to this. But they're capped out. You know, they're, they're looking at and hoping on Victor Arvidsson being that sort of in-house trade acquisition. And, and if he can give them something, um, you know, he, he is on the mend. It, it, you know, it looks like he's, uh, you know, he's, he's on a positive trend in terms of being able to return for um, the, the, the playoff push here. Um, and if he can give them something that, you know, then, then great. They have, you know, maybe their in-house acquisition. Um, but that's what they're limited to because of how capped up uh, they are. So if you can't make a, you know, a, a notable trade, or, you know, or uh, that way, a notable change that way, looking behind the bench is, is, is really the other if, if you've got to go that route. You know, Eric, of course, one of the big stories with the Kings this season, the acquisition of Pierre-Luc Dubois and the the lack of impact that he's had on the team, you know, both in terms of his counting stats, but I know in other areas of the game as well. You have a great piece uh, talking to Pierre-Luc Dubois up at The Athletic right now, and I know it was a big question, maybe difficult to answer, but, you know, in your view, why hasn't it worked? Like, I'm sure both sides wanted it to when he was acquired this summer. Yeah, no, no doubt. And, you know, at least one of the things coming out of talking to him that he does acknowledge is that he knows he was brought in to be a difference maker. And he knows that he hasn't. 
Okay. So, yes, you know, and, and, and this is a player who generally talks the talk. I mean, uh, anyone that's talked to him over the years, you know, the different teams whatsoever, um, he, he can talk the talk for sure. It's about walking the walk, you know, when, when, when it comes down to PL. Um, I, yeah, I think one of the, the, the issues, he's certainly been moved around the lineup. They, they've tried different things, uh, certainly. Um, I, I think one of the adjustments for him um, has been, you know, he's been a top six player throughout his existence, you know, whether in Columbus or whether in Winnipeg. Whereas here in L.A., yes, he was brought in with maybe the future in mind in terms of, you know, the day that Andre Kopitar finally slows down or decides to hang him up whatsoever. They've got a, a quality center in place. But for right now, he was brought in to really deepen this lineup, to make them really fearsome in the middle when you've got Kopitar and Philip Deneau, um, you know, and then you slot Dubois in as your third-line center. That's where he should be making a difference, theoretically. You know, he, he should be feasting on, um, you know, similar matchups, sim- you know, matchups that, that he generally faces. But, you know, it just hasn't happened. Um, he hasn't, you know, he didn't really mesh well with uh, Kevin Fiala when they played on a line together early on. They, the, the, you know, Todd put him on the wing for a couple of games with Kopitar and Adrian Kempe. That didn't really work. He was already, you know, they 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 abandoned that very quickly and put Quentin, Quentin Byfield back up there. So in in, in some sense, since that he's been, you know, PL has been a little bit adrift in that generally he's centered linemates that really haven't been real proven, you know, offensive performers at this level. But it's also on him as well. It's got to come from him as well. And and too often, I think you know, Kings fans have kind of seen what. Jets fans and, and, <laughs> and Blue Jackets fans have, have seen previously, you know, is someone who just isn't engaged all the time. It's intermittent. And as others have said, and I think he's, you know, realized himself, he's got to be able to bring it for this, for this group. He's got to be a difference maker. He's certainly being paid like one. Yeah, I was going to say, given the contract, and not only the contract, but the price paid to acquire him and the success that some of those players are having in Winnipeg for a really good Jets team, do you get the sense that there's any buyer's remorse from the Kings uh, looking at the Pierre-Luc Dubois acquisition? Yeah, I mean, from in, from the inside, you know, you know, it's hard to, to, to say, you know, but, you know, from the inside. Of course. You know, I, I don't, I don't know if it, you know if, if it's reached that point. From the outside, certainly it looks that way. I mean, if it's just, it right now, if you just judge it on the right now, it looks like a disastrous trade. Um, now, if they get if they do reach the playoffs and he is a factor in them, say winning a series, he can help at least kind of swing that pendulum back toward. It looking like okay, this is this is why we got him. This is this is you know this is the reason here. Um, but it's gonna, really going to take that. It's going to take a strong a stronger at least stronger finish to the year and him being in a, in a you know a factor um, a difference maker in a series where they're advancing in the playoffs to to change that narrative because right now again. If you judge it on right now, it, it looks like a disastrous trade. 
Are there any dads on the team that can go on the radio and call the group soft or something? Have they considered that? <laughs> Worked for the Panthers last year. <laughs> you know what? I'm not. You know what? I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know about that. But <laughs> like, I, like I said, you know, I, I, I think I think it was a high time that someone like Drew yeah. said what he said. Yeah, it, it, it was because. Previously, yes, they, they, you know, it, it's not like they've been playing so horribly during this stretch, um, but it's parts of it's parts it's parts of the engine that were failing, and they don't have that Connor McDavid or Nate McKinnon, you know, or that player where those when the parts are starting to fail, they can just say, all right, you know, enough of this, I'm going to do something about it. They don't have that type of guy it's a collective with the kings um but it, 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 that, that's why I, I think it was good that it, after that game that it wasn't one where they were kind of shrugging it off and saying you know and, and and saying the usual platitudes whatsoever it was good for somebody like drew with uh, the cachet that he has and the clout that he has with that franchise to basically say look enough's enough mm-hmm. yeah well, here's the other thing is what's going wrong with the Kings from a hockey perspective. Uh, I mean, there's a lot, but number one, five on five the last month, they're shooting about 6% at five on five and they're getting 900 goaltending. Um, going with Cam Talbot has worked on balance this season. Has their luck run out trying to patch things together in net? And is that a change we could see ahead of the deadline? Um, I think it's certainly something that they 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 obviously can't rule, rule out. Mm-hmm. They, they they've got to look. They 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 do have to have their eyes open and, and kick their tires on 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 some net miners that that are going to that are available either now or or, or at least definitely will be available. Um, you know, at at the deadline um, because yeah. Cam's not making the first, the amount of first saves that he was making when he was playing at a, at an all star level. That that's what was 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 so good about his his bounce back season. But he was in a system that uh, a, a tight system where all he had to do was make that first save, and you've got teammates that'll clear out any rebounds that he would leave, and he was sucking up a lot of those shots. You know, he wasn't allowing many rebounds. Well, he's not making as many of those first saves, you know. And I do think that um, in a lot of sense that maybe he was starting to wear down some. They played him a lot. I think they maybe played him too much, quite frankly, uh, in the first half of the season. So, you know, they gave him this little break here. Um, David Riddish had the net for a couple of games. Uh, looked well, you know, for the most part. And, and maybe they're going to they're going to have to look at playing him a little bit more here, uh, and and seeing if he can still recapture that big save day form um, after the All Star break. But no, they, they they've got they they should they should definitely not rule out looking at um, looking at goaltending. And and I think that there are a couple that that that'll be available at. You know, price points where if you do some creative, uh, you know, roster management whatsoever, they might be able to, say, fit in. 
Eric, really appreciate the time and the, the insight on the Kings. Thanks for doing this. Hopefully we can chat again soon. Yes, I appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much. That is Eric Stevens covering the LA Kings for the athletic and a really like it's a it's an interesting story anyways given how hot they started the season given what they paid to get uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois and how much he's struggled to make an impact there the comments from Drew Doughty all of that but it's really a Canucks relevant story as well Drancer because as they fall into that wild card race you know all of a sudden it becomes a very live possibility whether the Canucks, if the Canucks win the division, whether they're first in the conference or not, LA is a, a very, very plausible first round opponent uh, for the Canucks. And I guess the question now is, you know, it's easy to look at it. We were having this debate a little bit uh, throughout the course of January. You know, who do you want the Canucks to play of the Pacific Division teams? It's easy right now to look at LA and say, well, it's clearly got to be LA. But just based on the talent they have already and the possibility that they could do something to switch things up a little bit, it's really, really hard to say what L.A. is going to look like by the time the playoffs roll around, right? Like, I feel like I have a very, very little handle on what to expect from that team the rest of the way and once they get on into the playoffs. Well, I brought up the dad going on the radio and calling everyone <laughs> soft for a reason. I mean, Drew Doughty is like the team dad, I guess. Close right. enough. I, like, it's... E I don't want to say it's easy. It's not guaranteed that a team with an elite underlying profile, one of the best in the league, mm -hmm. going through a stretch where the reason they're losing is 900 goaltending and 6% shooting, like unlucky at both ends of the rink, five on five. You know, now that said, their goaltending is patchwork. Mm -hmm. They were getting outrageous performances from like $2 million worth, like they're getting what they paid for. Well, and as Eric was saying, they have really good players. Yes. But they don't necessarily have the top they end don't have offensive the guy. players yeah. that a lot of their competitors For sure. Do. So, you know, like Fiala, Kempe, great players, really good well, offensive players, but they're not McDavid, Pedersen, McKinnon, et cetera. And they don't play a style that lends itself to creating a ton of offense, mm. right? Like they play extremely narrow, disciplined north-south hockey. Flat out. And yeah, they, they probably could use an additional creator. It's one of the reasons I thought the Dubois acquisition was going to be such a strong one for them, because he's such a good East-West playmaker. It's just, it hasn't clicked. Yeah. Now, this might be one of those situations where the team's goaltending is not good enough, their system is too conservative in terms of how they generate offense, they're juking the numbers, and they're not going to um, find a way to make their dominance of the puck game after game count sufficiently. They're not going to have enough of a pointy end. A little bit of like attack. Carolina Hurricane syndrome or even like pre-Bruce Cassidy, Vegas Golden Knights syndrome there. You know sure. what I mean? Uh, maybe. maybe. Not, not that they're perfect comparisons, but that profile of team. But <laughs> we also see this a lot where you've got a team that struggles for whatever ephemeral reason. The Florida Panthers being a great example, right? Like the some an elite underlying profile, nightmare year, limp into the playoffs in eighth, Keith Kachuk calling the team soft on the radio, and then things, Paul Maurice losing it, losing his mind, yeah, <laughs> and all of that dysfunction hides. Oh wow, this is one of the best teams in hockey. So you don't want to overreact the other way either. My bet. I think the Kings are really good. I think that I think they're a top five team in the league. In the league. And I think that would be a nightmare first round opponent. Although I think 
LA, I think Vegas would be a nightmare first round opponent. Yes, I think C- Edmonton would certainly be a, Edmonton. And and you know what? If I was any of those teams, I wouldn't be like, yay, the Canucks. No, no. we're going to shoot on Demko for seven games while <laughs> this, this power play. Yeah, comes do at you us. think the Kings with their with their problems in net and finishing want to face the red hot no. finishing and red hot goaltending Canucks? Like Heck they no. don't. It can be a really difficult matchup from both perspectives. It for is. Both teams. It's, it's it's a strain. Well, and and the Kings profile like the type of team that doesn't tend to give the Canucks problems. Mm, right. The big the heavier team. The heavier yeah. rush team. Right. Yeah. Like from a pure matchup perspective, I think Vegas is a much harder matchup for Vancouver than L.A. So that might be that might lend itself to you. And yet, on a true talent basis, like. I think LA is really, really good. So tough year, just a tough year in the Pacific. I think a very tough year in the Pacific for all the talk about how wide open it is. And yeah, my, my thing about the Kings is just, and you were kind of alluding to this with the, it, it's the best argument against going all in, by the way, that the Pacific itself is, is it, so that, hard is that, you know, again, you think about everyone's going to bring up Oh six, the Carolina hurricanes and they should, but what happened in Oh six? Cause Carolina was like legitimately good that year. They weren't like a classic lucky quote unquote team. But they had the 1982 Canucks thing going for them. Mm. Ottawa went out before they had to face yep. them, and Detroit went out in the Western Conference Final. They never played either, right? So you you effectively avoided the two top true talent teams and were able to beat Dwayne Rollis and Edmonton Oilers to win the Cup. The Canucks, because of the new playoff format, just don't have that luxury. Yeah. I mean, even if you finish first in the West and you get like a relatively... You're going to have to beat at least one really good team from the Pacific, right? Because even least. if you get the crossover team, at least one. Yeah, but if you get the crossover team, you might have the other team come out of the Central. Like, there's very pot. Like, you could yeah. have Vegas move over and come out. I mean, I'm just saying the Pacific itself guarantees that you're playing, in my estimation, a top five true talent team in the second round and very possibly in the first as well. And that's that's the best argument. There is no, in the Pacific this year, I don't think there's a realistic path to, like, having the Manchester Ma- miracle on Manchester happen. And so you get to duck the 1980s Oilers. Mm. Like, I don't think there's a realistic path to avoiding Ottawa and avoiding Detroit on your run to the final. Uh, we have an open segment coming up next here. Of course, Dimitri will join us at 1.30. So uh, if you have any ideas for what we should draft, hit us up. Let us know. Because we're always open for ideas a half hour before we start uh, a segment. But open segment coming up next here on a Friday afternoon. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. So if you have questions, hit us up to the Dunbar Lumber text line. We will do our best to answer them. Lots more Canucks talk coming up here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk, Friday edition of the show here on Sportsnet 650 with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Canucks Talk, brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are live from the Kintec studio. Kintec, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet. What are you waiting for? 650. 650 is the Dunbar Lumber Text line, Dmitry Filipovich will join us at 1.30 today to wrap up the week here on Canucks Talk, as he usually does. Uh, lots of suggestions coming in for potential drafts 
with Dimitri. Someone said, obviously a charcuterie draft. Get specific. LOL. I like that. And anytime touchdown scorers for <laughs> conference <laughs> for championship conference. weekend. I like that. <laughs> Mac in North Van says, you guys should draft teams most likely to miss the playoffs, not including the bottom six teams. So, like, bubble teams most likely to miss oh, the playoffs. I like that. That's, That's interesting. I like that. Uh, we did. We we assigned homework to producer Lita. We were like, hey, we did a Super Bowl team draft at some point. Go back and listen and see who we all took. And she's like, I don't think you guys did do that draft. I've listened to like six weeks worth of them and can't find it. So oh, I'm, I'm maybe sure we, we just had a fever dream of uh, of doing that. But we'll see. We'll see if we can turn it up. Uh, I did want to read this one. There's some other good texts uh, coming in here. But uh, I want to read this one from devoted listener and texter Austin and Langley. Uh, and Austin Langley says, what segment is the Erickson Eck update today? See him mixing it up in the Preds wild game at the end? That's playoff hockey. He's ready for a deep Canucks run. The only reason I bring this up is that Austin Langley is part of a contingent of Canucks Twitter who's trying to like manifest <laughs> making <laughs> Joel Erickson Eck to the Canucks rumors a real thing. And he uh, he frequently texts in the show. And I've even sometimes like read other portions of his text, but then excised the Erickson Eck portion of it. Uh, so I wanted to just acknowledge the effort from Austin and Langley and read the Erickson Eck text today. Be Look, a, be a player. Be a great fit. <laughs> be a really good fit. It's just not happening. He, he, you know what? He is the perfect center for Connor Garland. Like, you couldn't design in a lab a perfect center to play with, a more perfect center to play with Connor Garland. Incredible stuff. I will also say, you know, the way I've put it a lot is the Canucks need to find the next JT Miller trade. And mm. when you look at the years he has left and the, on the number he has left, given where the cap is now, like it's kind of that would be it. It's just there's no reason to think that he's going to be available. But yes, he would be uh, an incredible, incredible fit. Okay, a couple texts came in here, but I thought were interesting. Very similar. Touch on uh, similar questions. Brad and Langley texts in says though Garland's counting stats are still not that high. Do we think his play has at least turned him into a positive trade asset? And if he has. Do we think he gets moved for cap space in the summer and hope that Hoaglander can fill his role next season? Ian in Vancouver texts in, hey guys, is this current Brock Besser for real or would you consider trading him while the iron is hot? Remember last season, we would have had to add sweeteners to move on from him. That's from Ian in Vancouver. Oh, that, or retain a lot of money. Yeah. Because um, that, I mean, remember, Ben Hankinson had permission to go try and facilitate Besser trades for months. So we actually have like an uncommonly good sense mm -hmm. um of of, a, of of his trade value a year ago a, a decent snapshot of it um given how mature and multifaceted those efforts were and, and like we know that the the reason it never happened was that teams wanted the Canucks to retain more than they were willing to so yeah and I mean that's an interesting one Gar Garland I th I think Garland's trade value might be a little higher mm-hmm but don't ignore that the fundamental dynamic behind Garland having quote unquote not positive value or negative value. I don't think he ever negative value, but like not, not the sort of value commensurate with his actual quality as a player. Mm -hmm. Like if you had Raheem Mostert in fantasy football, RB2, but no one wanted to trade right. for him because everyone thought skeptical Devon Achan was yeah. going to take over and also that he was going to get hurt. Um, You know, like that type of guy. The thing is is that there are teams that will think we can't pay five million dollars for a guy who we don't think is more than like a 45 point guy mm -hmm. a guy who we don't think's ever going to score 20 for us that you're ever going to feel like really good about having in your top six as opposed to being a, a plus third line or in a match you know i mean right yeah. so he he'd be sort of viewed as like appropriately priced maybe a luxury item 
by a lot of teams. On the other hand, his performance has been so good that if you're one of those teams that's maybe a little more progressive, maybe a little more data-driven, maybe a little less concerned with size, you'd be like, proof of concept, we've seen Mm. it. My goodness, look what he's doing. This is a top-line player. Those teams might be willing to pay something to get him. So, but, but those teams are also aware that, you know, we probably like this guy more than most. Right. So hard to get a retail price when a player is as polarizing from an evaluation perspective as Garland is around the league. I think the question is the two questions, right, about Besser's potential trade value and Garland's potential trade value are really interesting, though, because but we're neither so- is getting moved now. No, 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 no. This would yeah. be a summer. And one of them even says a summer thing. But I just think it illustrates like we're so used to going into the offseason or going into a trade deadline and talking about how difficult anything is going to be for the Canucks because of the reduced value of their players, the salary cap situation, all of these things, right? Like how long do we talk about, Hey, it's going to be really hard to dismantle this roster because of the performance of this team. And because of, you know, a lot of the salary cap space opening up this summer, there's two ways you can look at this. Like on the one hand, there's a lot of uncertainty going into the summer, but that uncertainty always comes with opportunity and possibility as well, right? And I think because players like Besser and Garland are playing so much better and are contributing to a team that's at the top of the standings and are going to have a chance to go do something in the playoffs, you're entering this situation now where for the first time in a long time, the stars are kind of aligning that the Canucks are going to be able to do a lot of different things this summer if they so choose. Like, there's going to be so many more options on the table depending on how things break than we're used to. Normally, it's like, well, maybe they could try to move Garland, but you'd probably have to pay. And, like, do you really want to retain? And so, well, if they don't do that, are they going to, you know, are they going to have the cap space to really do anything meaningful in UFA? When you look at everything that's going to be on the table for the Canucks this year, I think it's going to be radically, radically different than that. And I'm not saying they should, therefore, trade Garland or trade Besser. But my point is, I think you're going to have a lot more options to sort through. And, all, you know, of course, a lot of it will depend on what happens with Pedersen and Hronik, how the season ends and all of that. But I just think it illustrates, like, how much more flexibility this team is going to have going into the offseason this year. Yeah, and the Besser one's interesting because he becomes extension eligible uh-huh. on July 1. So, you know, it's not as straightforward as it's not as straightforward as um, your usual situation. Like, you probably do want to at least begin or begin to feel out what a decision looks like. Mm-hmm on keeping him long-term versus, you know, potentially reallocating that cap space. And I guess where we, you know, to, to sort of twist this conversation because this team's playing so well. I know, I don't want to get too far into the, me, like, what are neither. they going to do in the summer stuff, but I just, I, I thought it was an interesting, the two questions well, came in to kind of put that out there. Yeah, and I also don't, I don't think, like, this team has an opportunity to do something special, so yeah. I'm reluctant to, you know, put the, put that, like, um, not bad juju, just, like, the it's, idea, it's the, putting the cart the before I- the horse. The idea of uncertain futures, like the only uncertain future we should be focused on here is what can the can the Canucks win the Pacific? Can they mm. win the West? Can they win the President's Trophy? Can they win the Cup? Like that's it. That can they go on a deep run? Can they win the Cup? Let's let's go the full step by step up the pyramid. Where there will be some difficulty here is if the Canucks are going to swing for the fences, right? If they want to upgrade their roster, they are limited by you know, having to make dollar in, dollar out deals for the most part, right? Now, I think you could make a few deals. Like, I think you could add a bit of salary by just reassigning. Reassigning you know, players, like, yeah. Like, you reassign Mark Friedman, you mm-hmm. reassign Phil DiGiuseppe when he's healthy. Um, you know, you can open up a little bit of cap space, like we're talking about 
I don't know, like a million and a half, something like that. A million and a half ad without subtracting from this roster. But with the names that we're throwing out here and that our our listeners are interested in talking about, including Yoel Eriksson Eck, you know, we're talking about a lot more than one and a half million, right? Like we're talking about a team that's going to need to find a way to clear some meaningful space, mm-hmm. you know, if they want to do the sort of big stuff, right? The 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 bigger line items that we've been hearing about, talking about, thinking about here. So, you know, I, I mean, yeah, so roughly, roughly, yeah, you could add about a million dollars. It, it's tough. <laughs> so the, yeah, what, what, what comes next is really for me anyway, leading up to the deadline about cap reallocation and how the Canucks, if they go shopping for a Gensel Henrik type, mm-hmm. Elias Lindholm type, how they reallocate. And I think we all just kind of take it for granted, right? That like it's Kuzmenko. Uh-huh. Right? I, I, don't think right? I don't think it's unfair. No, no, no. It's not. You know what I mean? I, maybe taking it for granted is too strong, but like if you're going to, if you're going no, to we, power rank opportunities to clear that salary cap space, he's number one with a bullet for a lot of good reasons. I, I don't even know if there's a number two. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like hard to think of who the second player would be who would make sense in that spot. Um, you know? I, mean, I think you'd have to go with things like maybe they just rented Zadorov. Yeah, you know, but like yeah. I don't know. But I, don't I don't know. That doesn't seem particularly plausible. I don't, it doesn't seem completely unrealistic. But I don't know. Like, there's no reason to think that. Whereas I think there is plenty of valid reason to think that they could do that with Kuzmenko. Yeah, I mean, among among Canucks players who've played at least, among current Canucks players who've played at least 20 games, Kuzmenko ranks 11th by ice time per game, five on five. Like, it's hard to escape. Yeah, the gap in usage, cap hit, in discussing it, but reallocating. Kuzmenko might not be straightforward. Like, if Gensel shakes loose, would the Penguins have interest in Kuzmenko? Like, you know, I'm not sure. I, I, yeah, I think you almost have to look at it as two separate transactions. Right. So you're looking at a Beauvillier yeah. style, Beauvillier out, Zadorov in two separate deals? Yeah, I think that's what makes the most sense. Not that it would be impossible to include him and in wherever you're getting the impact player from. No. Like, especially if maybe it was the Ducks with Henrik or something, and they're not as concerned about the salary. But that's not easy, right? Yeah. Like, even that's not easy. So are, are then, then you're looking at trying to net value for Kuzmenko and then ideally shop some of that value. Mm-hmm. Like, hopefully you get enough of a return. But would you? Would you get enough you of a return? No, I almost think I, – I don't know if he's a negative value player at this point, but I think you're really just factoring it in as – Let's say you did have to give something up to move Kuzmenko. I'm not saying you necessarily would, but you just factor that in as part of the price you're paying for the player that you're acquiring, right? That's just that's just what it is at this point. And even like so I to me it's almost yeah, obviously you don't want to give away a player, you don't want to pay if you don't have to, but the return you're getting for Kuzmenko is the cap space. That's it, right? And any other asset you get back is completely secondary to getting the cap space to go out and make another move. Do you think he has as much value as a first round pick? No, no, Se- clearly not. Second round pick, probably not. Do yeah. you? No, probably not. I think you're right. Yeah, I don't think so. But like that again, I'm okay with that because it opens up the space for you to do something else. Yeah, and that's that's the real value of, of doing that deal. Yeah, especially if you're clearing the full salary, right? Then you're fine not getting that much of a return. I think, anyways, it, it, it's more complicated than it seems, right? Like, it, oh it's, sure. Now I know that Alvin and Rutherford have found ways to wheel and deal even in a flat cap environment and at a really impressive clip but 
you know, that this is another the Canucks want to be all in, but actually getting there, actually being all in is going to require some serious dexterity. Mm-hmm. You know, I think dexterity that they've earned, you know, they've earned our benefit of the doubt. Like we we should be able to trust that they can navigate as well as anyone else through these choppy flat cap waters, but man, it is not straightforward. It's going to be difficult, but I don't think it's impossible. By no, any no, no, no. You know what I mean? And you're not saying that, but I think even Kuzmenko, the fact that he only has the one year left, to me, puts him in such a different category than some other bloated contracts around the league, right? Or inefficient deals. Because, yeah, look, teams are so reluctant even to take that one extra year, but it's still only one extra year. And there are teams where it would not be crushing to have to absorb that salary. So I think it's more doable than sometimes it is to, you know, the idea of trading uh, an inefficient contract, but you're right. It's not going to be uh, as easy as just, Hey, we're going to go get a second round pick for Kuzmenko and then flip that for another player. Right. It's going to be more difficult than that. Yeah. Like, especially some of these, especially a team like uh, a Pittsburgh type seller, right. Where they're not going to wave. If, if they move on from Gensel, it's not a white flag on next season. Mm. You know, Uh, maybe the ducks would see some value in, in adding a, a scoring winger, you know, I guess. But like with the Flames, like would the Flames really have any interest in that? No, I don't know. That's why I think it would be trade them first, then then yeah. do the next bit. I, um, it it's it's just that's sort of so. If that's the case, then when we're talking about these targets, it's it's really step two. You yep, know, hundred percent. We're talking about a two step move, and and it's not as simple as Canucks add guy, right? Canucks subtract and then add, and maybe there's a benefit in that. Maybe there's like a hybrid. Um, approach to the trade deadline that actually can be helpful, especially if you can net a, a meaningful asset of any kind for Kuzmenko. Uh, speaking of, you know, who would be number two on the power rankings of guys to move out to clear salary to uh, potentially open up for an impact acquisition. This text didn't come in in response to that uh, that question, but it is a name that has come in. So he says, uh, Canucks talk, is Ilya Mikheyev really playing in a way that is deserving of so much criticism uh, on Canucks Twitter? His scoring has cooled lately, but he already has 10 goals for the season. A uh, solid member of the Canucks much improved PK. It seems that the Canucks market needs a scapegoat every season. And yeah, Mikheyev... Is Mikheyev a scapegoat? Have we reached that point in the discourse? But he's definitely, I have noticed over the last month or so, a lot more criticism directed at Ilya Mikheyev. And, you know, I think this is a situation where... This guy has exceeded all reasonable expectations by such a wide margin this season. Like, if if he'd come back and looked two steps slower and actually struggled, not Mm. like like fake struggled because he wasn't scoring over the course of a 10-game point streak for the team, I still would have been like, man, he's coming off of major ACL surgery. Like, it might take him a full year to get back to who he was. This is a speed-reliant player. He's looked fast. He's been defensively reliable. He's been good when called on on the PK and and probably could do more in that area, in my view. Um, You know, when the Canucks moved Pedersen up to play with Besser and, and Miller... That line played really well, and Mikheyev was a big part of it. Uh, You know, for large swaths of the season, he's led the team in five-on-five goals. You know, he led the entire NHL in shooting percentage, on-ice shooting percentage last year. It was like Mm 13.5%. He's down at a still very high 11.5% now, and that's enough to get him on the GOAT list? Like, I don't know. I think who's... Ilya Mikheyev's been a really, really good piece for this team. I think he's performed, despite probably never 
being in a, a in a state where we could assume that he's 100%. He's been like a valuable two-way contributor. He's scored way more than I think you could have reasonably expected when the Canucks signed him. Like I think this is hit to the 99th percentile and I think he might be even better next season given, you know, that he'll then be 18 mm. months removed from a very serious surgical procedure. Um no, I'm not buying it. Mikheyev's good. Mikheyev's played well. Mikheyev's playing well actively right now. And the thing for me is, even when he is in a scoring slump, and by the way, you know, he's still over half a point per game also this season, right? With with not much power play time. Yeah. And has played a lot with Elias Pettersson, to be fair, but has also played other spots in the lineup and is still producing at a totally reasonable rate. I think the, the frustration, the reason why it cropped up is once Andre Kuzmenko wasn't having the same chemistry with... Elias Pettersson, I think all of a sudden there was, you know, or and then there was Sam Lafferty playing up with them, right? And all of a sudden it's Ilya Mikheyev is the second most skilled guy on your top line. And that's just a role he's not supposed to be in, right? That's not that's not the role that Ilya Mikheyev is going to play on your winning hockey team. And so I think whenever that happens and a guy gets thrust into a role that maybe is not the right role for him, sometimes you see this frustration from fans. But the thing that's never – the reason why I have never been super concerned about Ilya Mikheyev is he still has a role on the team, right? And you've seen that trust and you've seen him retain that role – so even if he is isn't scoring, even if his scoring drops off, even if he goes through, you know, a slump in terms of finishing, you still think he can help you defensively. You still think that the coach is going to trust him and going to trust him to do all these different things. That's always been the concern with Kuzmenko. And there's a reason why Kuzmenko's lack of scoring is much more troubling to me than Ilya Mikheyev going through a cold slump. It's because Mikheyev can still help you. You know how Mikheyev can help you once you get to the playoffs. If here's my concern though, Jamie, with Mikheyev is if this is viewed as a scoring slump for Ilya Mikheyev, then if that's where the expectations are set, then we may well be in for a lot more of this discourse over the balance of his contract, right? Like, this is a player mm. who, when the Canucks had signed him, right, in three previous NHL seasons, all of which he'd been very good in, he had converted on 8.4% of his five on five shots, 284 shots on the 159 shots. He's taken five on five for the Canucks. He's converted at 14%. So almost doubled his shooting clip. Right. Um, if you look at the on ice stuff, it's a pretty similar story, right? Like this is a guy who in Toronto, 9%, 6.7%, 8 percent mm -hmm. on ice shooting 14% last season and 11 and a half this, like this guy over the course of his last 90 games, 90 games as a Canuck now, has been piping red hot. And his next 90 games shouldn't be expected to look that good. Like, you shouldn't be counting on, and you can't count on, getting, you know, a 5-on-5 goal every four games for Emilia Mikheyev, uh, 23 goals in his 90 Canucks games to his career. Like, that's a, that's a good clip. That's a 20-goal scorer. Um... I don't know that he's a consistent 20 goal scorer. I don't think that's who he is. So I, I you know, if he's been below expectations now, I do think it's worth gut checking those expectations and remembering not to conflate scoring totals with impact mm. when you're evaluating a guy like McKay. He there, does a lot more than just produce. And that's why I think his speed still being there yeah. has been huge, right? Because huge. That, gives him, well. that gives him the ability to contribute in those other ways. It reminds me a little bit, honestly, of 
the Connor Garland discourse. And obviously very different players, and they're going to help you in very different ways. But one of the reasons I was not you know, pounding the table to trade Connor Garland this summer is that I could always see the role he could be successful in, right? It's exactly what he's doing right now. Third-line offensive play driver for you. That's whether he was having a hot shooting season or whether he's having a poor shooting season. He's been playing in that role. And I think if, with Ilya McKayev, it's it's similar. He can help you by being an effective two-way forward. Now, at some point, do you have to have a conversation about salary and efficiency? If other things happen, sure, maybe. That could be the case with any player. But it's not it's it's not as if you're you have to look for spots to hide him in the lineup or like, Oh boy, what, what is this guy going to do? What is he going to bring to the table? He's still in still brings things to the table uh, on a regular basis. Size, defensive yep. ability, speed can help on the PK, all of those. Yeah. Things. And, and the last thing is this 12 game scoring streak does coincide with a, a significant drop in the quality of his line mates, right? Like he yep. was playing with Pedersen, then he wasn't. So that's the other thing to note here. You know, I don't think anyone should be confused about whether McKay like an offensive driver. Right, yeah. so I'd still love to see him if they do, and they broke up the lotto line. I'd still love to see him with JT Miller and Brock Besser to help in match. If that, if that's going to be a matchup minutes line going yep. into the playoffs, I think they could use that help he, on the left wing. I definitely think he could help drive play. Yeah, right. I, I think he could help them have more of the puck. Right. The I mean, high end Phil DiGiuseppe. Mm. That would be the template. Right. That makes sense to me. Rick so Hawk, yeah, his ears just perked up. <laughs> Better Phil DiGiuseppe. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> How have I been ignoring that puzzle piece? No, I don't think he's been ignoring it. No, I he think... hasn't at all. He's played. He's been on the top six. Has he been out of the top six once this year? No, no. And and, and I think he's been. I think he's been, you know, tasked with helping Pedersen, right? Who generally is getting less help than Miller mm-hmm. in terms of fewer minutes with Hughes, right? Uh, no, no Brock Besser to play with uh, at five on five. So I mean, I think McKayev's McKayev's usage is fine. His performance is fine. He hasn't been at his best from a scoring standpoint, but I also think we need to check our expectations. A lot of what he's produced in his Canucks career to this point was probably a little overheated. Yeah. And I think also, I mean, you look at the other scoring talent that they have in this team. And look, obviously, you can always use more scoring, right? But you're not paying him to be one of your three highest scoring forwards. You're paying him to do other things, and I think he's still doing those things for the team. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. What are we gonna what are we gonna draft here? Is it gonna be hockey? Is it gonna be nonsense? You think about it. I will. <laughs> All right, Trance, we'll decide. We will bring Dimitri on. Things it would be funny to be afraid of on the Maury show. <laughs> well, we know it's going number one. Because we have green olives. concept, green olives. <laughs> that would also work in the charcuterie draft. Bring in the olives. <laughs> All right. It is truly Friday. Dmitry Filipovich up next here at Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. up welcome back to canucks talk sportsnet 650 final segment of the week here on the show we are live from the kintech studio as always 650 650 is the dunbar lumber text line dunbar lumber 
with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. And uh, now joining us in his customary time slot here on the show from the Hockey Video Cast, which you can hear across the Sportsnet Radio Network. It is Dmitry Filipovich. What's up, man? Fellas, happy Friday. Happy Friday. I was humming the saxophone squirtle song to myself just before you came. There you go. That should, that should be my intro music for the show. I actually show. think we might have to integrate yeah. it. Is somehow. it rights-free? Probably not. No. We could use maybe a little snippet of it. Maybe we should just get some like jamming rights free saxophone music to bring to, to bring to Maybe Patreon. we get Dom to sing it. Oh. Uh. Ooh, there we go. There we go. So. Oh man, now I'm in the mood. Can we just do this for 30 minutes? Yeah. Can we just have it play in the background while we talk the whole time? Or would that be a real rights problem? I think that would be a rights yeah. problem in a big way. <laughs> But it sounds great. Oh, I love man. it. Such fun. So good. Anyways, uh, we'll, uh, we'll have to do a little bit of a different segment because uh, the Canucks only have one opponent. And right. It's not even interesting, an interesting one before the All-Star break. It's the Columbus Blue Jackets That's right. uh, tomorrow. But before we get to our draft, um, a few things happening around the league that I did want to uh, get into with you. We were talking uh, earlier with Eric Stevens from The Athletic about the LA Kings, mm. their problems. Now, Drance is making the point, which is very fair, but they're still controlling play in yep. a lot of their games despite... Uh, the brutal win-loss record as of late. How concerned are you about the LA Kings and what's happened to their uh, their win-loss record recently? I can't say I'm too concerned because Jance is right. Like a lot of the underlying elements that I think make them such an effective regular season team, at least, are still there. One of my concerns about them vaulting into that like inner circle of Stanley Cup contenders was the offensive creativity or lack mm. thereof, and I think we're seeing what happens with that sometimes where you go through these stretches where you can get a lot of shots but just not create goals. Now, at the same time, they're controlling plays so much that they're just going to win more games. Like yeah. This is obviously a stretch that's similar and to what Edmonton had in the start of the thank year. Thank right? you. That's exactly it. And I was bringing up the Panthers analogy. We had Eric Stevens on the show, and I said, is there a dad on the Kings who can go on the radio and call the team soft? Like, Yeah, it's Drew Doughty. <laughs> that was what he said anyway the uh <laughs> i i honestly just see a parallel there where it's like yeah they're goaltending soft but i think there's enough talent there that even if the vibes feel bad over a stretch where they have 900 goaltending and six percent on ice shooting five on five for a month um i still think they're going to be a serious threat come playoff time yeah, they've got the depth. I mean, obviously, what you're seeing from Pierre-Luc Dubois so far in terms of, like, early returns and stuff, that's yeah, it's alarming, up. right? And, and I think it can, like, spiral pretty quickly, and it has, you could argue. But at the same time, like, they're just going to – if they keep playing this way, they have too many good players. Victor Arvidsson is coming back soon, I think. Like, they're going to get it together. But whether the damage has already been done in terms of where they're going to finish in the standings mm-hmm. is an interesting conversation, right? Because mm-hmm. they went from feeling like, all right, they could actually push the Canucks for – for first in, in the West and first in the Pacific to all of a sudden now, I don't know, like Edmonton's pretty clearly head and shoulders above them and Vegas is too, right? So they're kind of locked oh. into that first wild card at best. Yeah, I think they're I think they're going to have a really tough time finishing in, in the top three in the Pacific, which, which brings us to another question uh, as we look well past the Columbus Blue Jackets. Hmm. The Pacific Division... I can't escape the feeling or the sense that there's no, e- there's not going to be an easy path through this, uh, through this, um, through this playoff for anybody. Well, like, there I is. Think there's no hiding. No, I think there is. Okay, it's finishing it. first in the West. Right. 
Yeah. Because then round one is most likely going to be one of Nashville, Arizona, Seattle, Seattle St. Louis, but like it's whoever gets that second yep. wild card. And I think I, that pres- I think St. Louis is not the ideal matchup for the Canucks. Oh, man. they're not very good. No, I, they're not very good. It, it represents a massive drop off yeah. from the Kings as the first wild card. I think. Yes, agreed. And then in that scenario, it would be you win that round two. You have home ice against. Whoever survives, yeah, what will probably two, be a seven-game series of Edmonton Vegas again, yeah, and that's not the worst spot to be in. So, yeah, like, I think that's the path. That's your best-case scenario because no matter what, you're going through probably one of Vegas or Edmonton, if not, and then maybe LA if you finish, as you say, second in the West. So that's a brutally difficult thing. But at least if you delay meeting one of those teams uh, until the second round, I mean, you increase your chances, as you said. Maybe they really, you know, knock the snot out of each other in the first round as well. Okay, Edmonton. 12 points back of the Canucks right now, but with four games in hand, winners of 15 in a row. Right. What, what, off the top of your head here, what chance do they have to catch the Canucks in the Pacific Division so before what, the end of the year? What did you say? They're, they're, they're 12 games back, or sorry, 12 points back. Yeah, with four, four games in hand. Right? With four games in hand. And only and one, one more head to head. Yeah, yeah, the Canucks already, see, the Canucks banked those three. Yeah, that was huge. Wins yeah. against them. Um, I don't know. It's going to be tough, man, because they've gone 25-6, and six, I believe, <laughs> since the coaching change, and they've made up four points on the Canucks <laughs> in that time. Like, it's just really tough. I, the games in hand are obviously going to be very helpful, but it's just really tough to make up that type of ground, when especially when we chop. Winning. Yeah, of course, right? And the so, Canucks are on their own 10-game point streak. I mean, yeah, like, over the course of this win streak, they've gained four points on the Canucks. It's ludicrous. Yeah. Yeah, so I I'd rate it as pretty low. I mean, obviously, if they keep like they're gonna eventually start losing what, some what, games. What too, do you right? mean by pretty low? Like thirty three. I can't. I'd hand you that camp. The Canucks is a heavy favorite. Yeah, but like sixty six percent, like plus four hundred. Sure. I mean, you're the you're the odds maker of the bunch. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's demanding that yeah. you, <laughs> you translate into gambling odds. I don't know. No, I'm, I'm, sure there is a, I'm sure there is a line for this, right? Like yeah, Pacific Division winner? Well, I don't, there, there's Pacific Division winner, but that's different than because it also factors, factors, in, okay, yeah, right. factors in Vegas. and right, yeah, yeah. right, right, right. But right, it's, right. I, I mean, I sort of, back of the napkin, go one in, th- one in three shot. That seems reasonable. You think that's high or low? <laughs> I don't know, man. Why? <laughs> Why are you demanding this so much? <laughs> it's way too late in the week for you to be pulling this stunt on me right now. Uh, what are you scared, Dimitri? Yeah. Huh? Are you ducking that question? Pick a sign. <laughs> what do you have to hide, Dim? Are you some kind of coward or something coming on this show? Oh, boy. Um, Let, go ahead. I want to pivot to deadline stuff. So I've got to call him up at the Athletic with Harmon Dial uh, what a perfect Canucks trade deadline would look like. Mm-hmm. And in it, we spend a lot of time dwelling on the, the you know that the ideal Canucks target, as everyone's focused on Henrique and Elias Lindholm and Jake Gensel, isn't a rental piece, right? That if you're going to pay retail price at the deadline anyway, trying to find like a, a sequel to the Philip Peronic trade is like ideally what you're looking for. And you know you think about the best deadline deals of the last three, four years, you think Coleman Goudreau, you think Matthias Ekholm, Jake McCabe, um, Ivan Barbashev, who they re-signed, Nick Paul, who they re-signed, you know, uh, Arturi Lekkanen. Mm-hmm. How conscious of adding a multi-year piece do you think the Canucks should be, hypothetically, like as a priority going into this deadline? I think very. Not only from the perspective of it being a player with like legitimate substance that 
can mm. significantly improve this team in like very tangible ways. But also, I think if you can get a player for multiple years that's under a net positive cap hit, right below their market value, that helps a lot approaching an offseason where you have so many unknowns in terms of unrestricted free agents, RFAs you have to sign, like like contractual stuff that you don't know how it's going to go, right? And so in that case, just adding a player that you can lock in at that set price that's below market value, I think is huge for a team, any team really, but especially one in the Canucks position. We, are, You know, the Philip Ronick one is interesting because, of course, they acquired him a year out, but he was an RFA right. after this season. And the thing I find fascinating about that is so often potential RFAs see their values reduced a little bit because mm-hmm. teams are scared of the contractual snafu. But I wonder... In the Canucks situation, if that's the kind of opportunity you can take advantage of, right? Because if you're going all in on this year, you know, that's almost kind of threading the needle between buying a true rental and having term. It's like, well, look, maybe it works out and we sign the player. Maybe we don't. Then we can get out, get, get out, of, the, uh, out of the money. But Jamie's asking about Casey Middlestat. I'm asking about Casey Middlestat, basically. Yeah. <laughs> but, I was wondering where you were going philosophically, with that. like, hey, if you can find that player that other teams are maybe a little wary of because they're an RFA, does that actually represent uh, an inefficiency the Canucks could exploit? Yeah. And I mean, also Casey Middlestack. I'm I'm a big Casey Middlestack guy. I would I would love that. Um, he's got a very interesting skill set. Like I, I I think there's going to be teams like the Jets, for example, mm-hmm. that should be all in for him because he's exactly what they need. Whereas for the Canucks, I don't think they should be getting in the business of like getting into an arms race mm. for just that one type of player. Cause I think there's many different routes they right. could go. Right. Whereas I think the jets and both the avalanche are in such clear need of a playmaking second line center. Right. That if the Sabres make Casey middles not available, I think his price might shock people for like how much they're able to fetch for him in terms of acquisition costs. We were talking about this earlier in the show because there was the report from uh, Emily Kaplan at ESPN today saying, you know, talking to people around the league, there's not necessarily a clear list of teams that are going to go all in. Vancouver comes up a lot, but other than that, people aren't really sure. Outside of the Canucks, who do you look at this year and say, that's a team that really should be willing to put a ton of assets on the board to get better before the deadline? Yeah. I mean, we're talking a lot about how it's pretty wide open at the same time. I think we all agree that, and we've talked about this in previous weeks, the West is just far superior to the East right now, especially up top. So it's it's tricky for these teams to to talk themselves into being that open. I think the Jets are, are one of those teams. Yeah. Right? Like, they've had a miserable couple of years. They're trying to win back their fans, mm-hmm. essentially, and get them to commit financially to, like, supporting the team. And they have a good squad. And so it makes sense. But they're similarly shopping for a player with, like, some sort of either term yeah. or – uh, team like security in terms of being able to retain them yep. beyond just a rental. Someone market, who's right? stuck in, in Winnipeg. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> um, and so in that case... Trap. The yeah. old trap. Yeah, the old, the old, the old trap. Trick. I mean, Casey Middlestad is from, I think he's from like Minnesota or yeah, something, yeah. right? He probably wouldn't mind staying there, but... At least he can drive home yeah. in the summer. Yeah. But... <laughs> doesn't, have to, doesn't have to use the Winnipeg <laughs> yeah, that's, airport. that's a good selling point. Um, <laughs> doesn't have to use the Winnipeg airport. Yeah. Yeah, anyone within that lives within driving distance of Winnipeg is a good get for them. Good target. Good target. Uh, Canucks targets. Okay, so... Are we doing this as the draft? No, no, no. We're going to well, draft... I don't want to give you my, well, we can't, my, my we picks. We can't talk about it before we do the draft. Yeah, I don't want to give you my picks away. Like, okay, no. well, then let's just start the draft. I didn't realize right, we I used did... the draft as a discussion point. I thought it was like a It's usually nonsense to at the, the end. Yeah. What do you mean? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Spoken like someone who loses every draft. What did you think we were going to do? I thought we were just going to draft. Yeah. But okay. we can't. 
<laughs> well, let's draft, and then we can we can maybe go a bit long and actually expand on the draft as opposed to just rushing it at the end. Right, I appreciate that. We're like All scrambling right. to make our final picks. Yeah. And I'm change. just saying, we don't have to go into the draft right now, but we can't talk about the draft topic and then do yes. the draft. Okay, I understand. It has to all be wrapped up into one. I understand your objection now. I mean, I think you're being a little saxophone squirtle about it. Like, <laughs> well, a little awesome. Well, mo- mo- most, most of our drafts, most of our drafts, the conclusion of them is Jamie frantically yes, looking at the clock like, with producers up, yelling in his ears <laughs> yeah. while I try to like make one final pick. That's true. So let's actually yeah, yeah, stretch okay. it out. All right. So we're going to draft Canucks, deadline, targets. Yes. Specific players, right, that they should target in order of you know biggest impact to least or whatever. Right. Or, get, or Yeah, biggest impact to least, I would say. And... I mean, let's keep it in theoretically the, available. Yeah, yeah theoretically yeah. available. Right. So not like you know Nathan McKinnon, right? Like yeah. you know, guys who could theoretically yeah, yeah. be on the move. <laughs> number one pick, Connor yeah. McDavid. Connor McDavid. <laughs> Tom, Tom just scratched him off his list. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at his computer right now, <laughs> furiously erasing on his notepad. Um, all right, who wants to go first? Here, Tom, you should go first. Buddy. You want me to go first? Yeah. Let's give you a chance to actually win this draft. Okay, I'm gonna steal your pick then. Is that okay? Uh, yeah, okay. Sorry about it. It's your show. I want the Canucks to go get a player who matches the following description. Okay? Signed with term. Drives play in the top six. Mm-hmm. Fast, tough, cool as hell. That's my criteria. All right, all right. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a good player. There is a player on a team that has far outperformed expectations this season and yet we know we'll look to the future. They've got a 26-year-old winger on the books at a $5.5 million cap hit that is an exact match for Andre Kuzmenkos. Mm. He is signed this year and next. He's a super pest. He's from London, Ontario. He's related to a former Canucks captain. He's Travis Konechny. Travis Konechny, number one. Yep. If now. I could bring one guy to Vancouver for this playoff run, and next, Travis Konechny is the guy. I like it. I love the player. The only thing I'll say is, and this is news from today, on the Merrick show, Elliot Friedman, of course, they did the Tippett deal, mm-hmm. uh, talking about other extensions, and Friedman didn't report that it was going to happen, but... They want to keep intimated. I want, right. uh, you know, the kind of the classic Frege. I wonder if Konechny is going to get an extension here at some point. He should. He's really good. So, so but, but I agree with you. If he's on the market. Well, that's this is this is perfect. If they're having exploratory talks ahead of Konechny's extension eligibility on July 1, now's the time to come in with a big offer. And they've already said that they're like as good as the season's been. We're not going to fall in love with any players and we're going to look to the future. Like, I think they've. Literally said that publicly. Now's the time. Except so, Travis Konechny. Priam Luce. We're in love with him. Well, yeah. if Prime they're Luce. getting multiple firsts or equivalents to it, all of a sudden I think they might re, you know, That's what I'm saying. open their minds. He's the guy you it. pay for. Yeah. He will instantly become Rick Tockett's favorite player on the team. He's an elite penalty killer who's going to score 40 goals this season. Dominates. Plays relentlessly. Like, he, I, I can't think of a better player in a lab for exactly what this team needs and imagine him on Elias Pettersson's wing. Travis Konechny. Yeah. Pick number one. Yeah. It's a good pick. Great it's a good pick. pick. You want to go second, Jamie? Yeah, sure. I'll go second. We're going to hose Dimitri here. <laughs> no, whatever. You get the turn. It's great. Uh, I'll go with Jake Getzel. He's a stud. He is. I know he's a UFA. He's a winger, so he's not a setter, but he's so good. He's such a playoff performer. 
I think he would be an incredible fit alongside Elias Pettersson. They're desperate for that other legit high-end top six player. And best of all is there, I do think there's a legitimate, I'm not saying it's a guarantee that he's going to move, but given how Pittsburgh season has gone and kind of the weird mandate there, I do think there's a little bit, a legitimate chance that he's on the board. Dubas and Rutherford have done plenty of deals you know, going back to Dubas's time in Toronto. I don't know. I just love the player, the playoff track record, all of it, the fit. Jake Gensel, my number two pick. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Um, okay, so I got two picks here, right? Yeah. I'll go Pavel Buchnevich. Love that. Uh, similar to That's exactly what you said about Konechny, I believe. Maybe makes a bit more, but also on the books for next year as well. 5.8. Essentially, yeah. Next. Essentially fit him into exactly everything Tom said about Konechny. And then give me Chris Tanev. Chris Tanev? Yeah. I love it. Chris Tanev. As uh, help their penalty kill and also give them the luxury of potentially splitting up Hronik and Hughes and giving them a much more viable second pair. That's a good one. I mean, it's complicated with the blue line, but I think you're right. The The allure of Tanev uh, is maybe a little too much. Um, I'm going to go with Adam Henrique for my second pick. We've talked a lot about him uh, on the show recently. I know Friedman, Fried, Friedman mentioned his name in connection with the Canucks today on 32 Thoughts as well. And I'm putting him here, even though I love the Lindholm fit, just because... I think the acquisition cost would be a lot less than Elias Lindholm. And I don't know how much the gap is at this point between them as players. And I just really like, I really like him as a player. And again, the the flexibility uh, ability to play him down the middle, all of that. I think he'd be a good fit too. And I know they really want to like Tom, I think in your, in your list of trade deadline targets or whatever, you had one of the things being like uh, another centerman mm-hmm. to help with draws. Right. So he would help with that. I think it's a bit of a trap though. Henrik. It is. Agreed. Yeah. Because he, doesn't really do anything. And and <laughs> is that and, bad? Well, it's bad. No, it's 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 fine. He needs to be su- supported by the perfect wingers. And in reality, he has actually played wing mostly in Anaheim the past yeah. couple of years despite taking a lot of draws. Mm. So, like he would be a good fit for the Canucks with their bottom six wingers right now. Like if you replaced Niels Amon, like if you put him with yeah. guys like Hoaglander or even replace Bluger and put him with Joshua Garland. and Garland, but that's already working. Yeah. Like I don't, mm. I don't think putting him on a second line and giving him Kuzmenko <laughs> as a winger is going to do anything. What's the plus EV of upgrading on Neil Zaman? Right, like the plus EV is upgrading on Pew Suter and yeah. having Pew Suter be the Amon up going down and putting yeah. Neil Zaman. Right, yeah. Um, I agree. I agree with that. I think I think Henrique's like perfect to log minutes. Yeah, and the Canucks don't need a guy to log minutes necessarily. I think they need a game changer. They need they need a guy to give them an extra gear. I, I agree. I'm going to go with the right Anaheim Ducks target. <laughs> Trevor Zegras. Oh. Bad. Trevor Zegras. What do you mean bad? No, he's not bad. It's a bad pick, though. What do you mean you it's say, a bad You pick? say your pick, and then I'll explain it. He's 22. He's signed for the next three years at $5.75 million. You want to win a cup? You want to you beat McDavid? You want to beat Jack Eichel? You want to be the best team in hockey? You got to get some hits. Players like Trevor Zegras aren't available unless there's some reasons for Jamie to be shaking his head and saying bad pick, <laughs> right? There are some reasons to not love this deal, but he's 22. He's driven play at the ages of like 19, 20, 21. He's been super productive at the ages of 19, 20, 21 in the NHL. There's some concerns about him, but you know who else had concerns at the age of 22? Elias Pettersson. Like, Trevor Zegras at the end of the day is not Elias Pettersson. I want to be clear here. But 
he's skilled to the point where he has a real shot at being special. This is the guy worth paying a premium for. He exactly dovetails with Thatcher Demko's deal. You get three kicks at the can, and there's a chance if he becomes the guy I think he can be, especially under Rick Tockett, who's had a lot of success leveling up you know, some players who, who, who maybe have a tendency to mm-hmm. pull the rope in not the wrong direction, but just not quite the right direction, like 10 degrees off, right? If he can level up and be that, there's a chance that the Canucks could have the best one, two, three center punch in the league. That's the sort of thing that wins you a cup. Trevor Zegras. Okay. If you were to, if you told me they were doing this at the draft, I'm interested. I don't think and I love Rick Tockett. You know I love the job he's done. But if you if you're saying we're gonna give Rick Tockett Trevor Zegras with a full training camp and a full season to get everything aligned and make sure he's good to go by that playoff run in the following season, okay, I can talk myself into it. You're bringing him in now and you're replacing Andre Kuzmenko likely in the lineup. And you're expecting him to be a Rick Tockett type player, Rick Tockett to be on board of his game, Zegers to be on board. And and get healthy. In six weeks, ready to hit the ground running in the playoffs, I think that's too big a risk. I think that's too big a risk on the opportunity you have this year that it's not going to work out. If you're if you're saying you have you know a full summer and training camp, then I'm on board. Doing it in season, this close to the playoffs, I, I just think there's way too much risk there. At the end of the day, though, like he'd be replacing Kuzmenko. Like the the risk isn't. Yeah, but you want to improve. No, I, I, I'm just saying, your your downside risk for the rest of the season is you've still probably improved, assuming he's healthy, uh, right? Because you have to see the medicals. But you've still probably improved on one-dimensional offensive forward if that's all he does. But I think he can do more right away. But I guess the question for me is, are you going to spend big assets for a guy that Rick Talk is not going to trust to play more than 10 minutes in a game? Because that's 100% in the cards if you go out and get Zegers before these playoffs. That he's playing nine minutes in a playoff game. I'd rather, though, they go get a guy who might only play nine minutes but has a real shot at making an impact in those nine minutes. I just think the opportunity cost is too great because you're spending your ability to make a big swing on that player with that much risk when you could do other things for guys with much, much higher certainty. You, you just you don't win big if you don't take a risk. Like I, I'm trying to find the Canucks' ver- answer to Jack Eichel. I'm not trying to find. No, I get it. You know the Canucks' answer to Derek Wah the way you are. <laughs> I'll, well, I'll go do I'll, it in the summer, uh-huh. and I'm, I'm on. I'm on board. Do it right. now. Does he go by Derek Wah? I thought it was Derek Roy. Yeah, I man. think it's Derek Roy. <laughs> well, he's a pirate either way. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll just I'll just take Elias Lindholm next. Perfect fit from stealing from, my pick. What steal? You were just going to take the most obvious rentals, yeah, of course. Next. Yes, and you're going to lose the creativity score when we present our dishes to the, the chop judges. Score. Um, all right, I'm going. Uh, yeah, I'm going with um, with my guy Elias Lindholm, right-handed, pitching on the power play, pitching on um, the PK, wins 56 percent of draws as a righty. Hard to find a better fit, even if I'm I'm not like absolutely in love with uh, with the ceiling there. Uh, I am going to go with, uh, this is, I mean, we're getting down to the, there's not a lot of high profile names on the market here. I'll go with Ilya Lubushkin. Can always use another right shot defenseman. Physical, big, why not? Yuck. (laughs) I like it. I'm going to go way off the board here. Let's do it. No reason to believe is available. Let's go get Yanni Gord from Seattle. That's a good one. Oh, actually, hold on. I changed my last pick to Jordan Everly. I thought you were going to steal Yanni Gord from me. I changed it to Jordan Everly. (laughs) (laughs) I love the Everly fit, by the way. That's a good one. Yep. Gord two years left, I think. Yep. Yep. Gord's perfect. Yeah. Gord, All right. Gord rules. 
he would be awesome. Uh, as you said, we haven't heard his name out there, but you never know. Why not? Uh, all right, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. We're back on Monday. It's the bye week. So tune in just to see what we'll talk about with no Canucks games on the schedule. Have a great weekend. Uh, keep it right here on Sportsnet 650.